Welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and you know how some businesses really struggle to get their market, their customers, their prospects as excited about what they're doing as they are? Well, that's something I help with. And that's something I want to work on with the Curiosity Key Podcast by spreading the good news and spreading the amazing things that are happening in the world today. Now, this episode is with a friend of mine, a chap called Ian Woodhouse, who I met many, many years ago at an event called Intergeo. Now, Intergeo is an annual geospatial event held in Germany. And I met Ian because I have a keen interest in all things sustainability. And Ian not only is the Professor of Applied Earth Observation at the University of Edinburgh, but he is also the CEO and founder of a company called Carbomap and Carbomap are working on eliminating deforestation. And what they do is they fly laser scanners up in the air via aircrafts and drones to map forests and do lots of really fun stuff to help us understand more about what's going on in the world today and help us reduce the effects of climate change. So it's a really interesting interview. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed interviewing Ian. And if you ever have the opportunity to have a chat with Ian, I strongly recommend that you do that because he's got a lot of interesting things to say and there's a lot of interesting things going on at the moment. So I hope you enjoy. And welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I'm joined by Ian Woodhouse, CEO and founder of Carbomap and Professor of Applied Earth Observation at the University of Edinburgh. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, got it all in one go. So thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, Ian. Um, Would you like to just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about Carbomap and kind of what you're hoping to achieve with it? Uh, okay, so Carbomap was uh, a spin-out from the University of Edinburgh in 2013. Um, so I'm one of those academics that have still got a, a footprint in both the academic worlds at the university, um, but also in the company. And we spun it out based on a patent that we developed for a new LiDAR system for mapping forests. And uh, there was a group of academics involved in that. and and a couple of us had a bit more interest and expertise and background in the commercial world, and two of us that were more academic. So we decided that in order to pursue the the science, two of us would stick with it in terms of applying for research grants through the academic world, uh, and two of us would go into the, the to push forward the company, see if we could um, accelerate the development of the of the science and the application of that um, in the commercial world. So that was back in 2013, um, and so we've been bootstrapping for what's that um, six six years now, or six years come September, um, and that's yeah, that's what keeps me busy. <laughs> Love it, and for anybody that's listening to this that is not aware of lidar, because obviously um, we uh, we met when I used to sort of sell the lidar sensors is laser scanning technology do you want to explain to our listeners like as in layman's terms um what lidar is and how you're using lidar um from a forestry point of view yep so there's uh there's various ways to measure the earth's surface um and you can do that from drones or from aircraft or from space and uh my particular background is is using radar so so transmitting microwave signals um bouncing them off the earth measuring the signal that comes back and determining things like how much forest is there or what type of 
um, crop cover there is, uh, mapping other properties on the Earth's surface or of the oceans or ice. And so that's what I do. Most of my teaching is, is in that side of things as well. Um, but you can also do something that's a bit like radar with uh, laser light. So you fire a laser beam and you, you measure the time it takes for the echoes to come back, and that's a LiDAR system. And they are very well advanced now, both for aircraft and, and drones. There are some LiDARs that have flown in space, but they're more on the science side of things. Uh, the commercial mapping is much more focused on airborne and, and drone-based LiDAR just now. And so the key thing about the, the fact that you can make the um, distance measurements with the LiDAR is that you can measure the three-dimensional structure of the trees. So, so in a forestry environment, um, being able to measure the three-dimensional data is really significant, gives you much more information on the structure and the, the size of the trees. Uh, and the, the amazing thing about using LiDAR on trees is that you get absolutely incredible um, point cloud data and it, it just looks so visually stunning because if anybody ever asked me about what I did um, I always kind of picked out the LiDAR data from trees because it was always the thing that got the biggest response everybody's like oh it just looks so pretty uh, it just looks amazing it's like a piece of art which it kind of is really isn't it? It is it's uh, it's very visually attractive and so you um, you know LinkedIn and Twitter are full of people tweeting nice uh, images of of data sets from forests, um, just because it's it's very clear that the the richness of the information is very clear from from forests as well, just because they're they're quite elaborate three dimensional structures. So, oh, I mean, I I knew nothing about laser scanning or lidar um, until two thousand and eleven, which is when I joined three D laser mapping, and then right. it was a bit like you know, kind of my mind was completely blown as to the huge variety of applications that you can use it on and also the benefits to um yeah like society in the world that goes way beyond just measuring things yes and it's um the exciting thing in that domain is actually the i just saw uh recently the first results coming from the nasa's new laser scanner that's on the international space station so that's that's covering the entire globe um and measuring three-dimensional structure from from vegetation so that's Amazing. that's how how far it has come that you you know we can we can stick these laser systems on 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 space stations and satellites and and measure properties of the of the Earth from that. Well, so you've got quite a um, an ambitious vision personally, and also a vision for CarboMap as well. Um, in that, I'm sure you told me or I've read it somewhere that you plan to eradicate completely eradicate deforestation by 2030. Is that right? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not going to do that myself, but that's, <laughs> you know, my uh, a lot. So uh, going back some years, it was 2007 really, which was the formative year for me because I did a Scotland Malawi partnership um, academic exchange program to Malawi. So I spent a semester teaching there. Um, took the family; boys were still very young, um, but just seeing the what's happening in Malawi. Malawi is going through. Uh, quite rapid deforestation and it has a very high population density and and what I see in Malawi is essentially a microcosm of all the challenges that the planet is going to face over the next 50, 17 years and it made me realize that we we really have to tackle that that issue of deforestation because the rate um, the rate at which we lose forests globally is something like a football pitch sized area of forest every two seconds. Okay, so that's how how fast it's it's going, and I think I chose 
2030 simply because that's roughly when I retire. <laughs> and so it was a question of saying, well, what am I? What's my contribution going to be here? If that's the vision that you're going to have uh, cut down deforest, uh, are you going to stop deforestation by then? Um, what's my role in there? So that's where the incentive to spin out Carbomat, for example, was partly taking the research in the university environment and saying that, well, um, it's great doing these exciting, interesting, innovative new ideas, but they have to find some way to translate into real practice. So. Uh, so they're actually being implemented in a, on a day-to-day basis. And, and so that's where I see my contribution in terms of that vision of the zero deforestation is, is by providing the information that allows you to, to manage the forest better or to make better decisions about the landscape. Um, it's not going to be impossible to always stop every kind of deforestation. Um, and so it's, a, it's really a net deforestation is that we have to be, you know, there'll be some areas where we're growing more trees and some areas that the trees will still have to be cut down. But the, but you can only uh, monitor that if you've got the right tools to know where the forests are, how much forest there are, how it's growing. So that's where my, you know, that's where I chip in. And in fact, since, since I, um, and possibly since we had that conversation, the World Wildlife Fund have actually, their, their target for zero deforestation is 2020. So so I could I could have ten years of being able to do something completely different if it's if it's all sorted by twenty twenty. I don't think it looks like they're on track. But um. <laughs> I know I, I do remember reading that, and I was like, "Wow!" So twenty twenty is actually next year. Yeah, that's where it's it's that's a little bit ambitious. Twenty thirty maybe is a is a slightly more realistic target. Yeah, um, and can you explain to people that are listening that are maybe not as aware of the impacts of deforestation, why it's something that we need to be more aware of, and why we need to support projects like this? Well, they, uh, um, one of the key things, just in, in terms of climate change, is again coming to the fore of uh, of you know media coverage and and political discussion. Um, trees absorb carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, um, and there are also a a store of carbon. So if you take a forest and you and you cut it down, uh, you lose all the carbon that was in those trees. It partly depends what you do with it, but certainly if you burn down that forest, all that carbon is released into the atmosphere. Uh, and you've also no longer got the trees there that are consuming the, the carbon out of the atmosphere. So through, through that process of photosynthesis, they are the nature's carbon capture and storage device. And so they are a, a they're really important in terms of that balance of how much carbon we put into the atmosphere versus how much carbon um, is sucked out of the atmosphere. Beyond that, they're important for um, uh, so water and flood protection. So one of the things that trees do is that they slow the flow of water um, in terms of the if you cut down all the trees, it tends to the rains wash off the topsoils, so you lose the fertility of the topsoils. You, uh, the water drains into the rivers much faster. You're much more likely to have flooding as a consequence of cutting down the trees. And they're also a contributor in terms of local climate. So the, they, can, um, they can often drive the, the precipitation in a, in a regional area. Shall I go on? There's a few more. Um, <laughs> no, probably... yeah, well, I could talk to you about this for ages because I'm like, you know, very, very interested in the topic of climate change. And I definitely believe that 
business, like through business, um, we have the power to make a significant impact. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's great to see so many individuals get behind um, the uh, climate change um, challenge that we're facing. But what I'd like to see is a few more businesses get behind the climate change <laughs> um, side Definitely. of things, because then I think we we have the power to make a real big impact and actually tackle this because you know yes it's great when individuals you know sort of take recycling responsibly and turning off lights and things like that as well but it's it's through business that we're going to make those big changes um so yeah without um boring uh, people who are just like oh, yeah more on the climate change but what would you say to people that are like i don't believe in climate change which has <laughs> um come across the news uh, in recent months i don't i um the it doesn't. It doesn't bother me too much as long as they realise that well, the uh, things like destroying forests, um, the unsustainable agriculture, uh, and the production of food, the um, the the uh, unhindered um, accessing of um, fishing resources. Um, you know, you can go on in terms of the there there. Whether you're you buy into climate change or not, I mean, I think you should. But they, but even those people that are going to be intransigent and not want to move from that very definitive position of saying that, well, I'm never going to believe in climate change. Uh, regardless of that, there's a whole bunch of stuff that ha- we have to be engaged with in terms of the, you know, how we deal with waste, um, how we're going to feed everybody, uh, you know, the whole whole elements that actually drive. Um, the environment in a the currently in a negative direction. So, I would argue that if we can tackle all those things for for very good, straightforward, um, blatant reasons, you will see a, a, a net contribution in terms of its positive impact on on climate change. Anyway, yeah. um, and if we can get people to rally around that, I think that will that will be easier. Certainly, you know, there's some parts of the world, North America, would be a very strong example. Uh, where climate change has become such a political um, and even moral or religious kind of uh, narrative. And that is unhelpful because it kind of distracts from the science. Mm. And, and I would say, well, let's, okay, we can bypass that. There's, it's, there's really important reasons to talk about sustainable agriculture and feeding everybody. Um, there's really important reasons why you want to, to maintain forests and keep them uh, healthy and uh, and and have a uh, you know and tackle things like deforestation. So it's there's lots of things to be tackled that that aren't explicitly or don't have to be explicitly tied to climate change. That people should be able to rally rally around, even if they are still arguing about climate change. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So before we end up going down a uh, climate change debate, which would be very interesting and fascinating, I kind of want to bring it back to the technology. Um, and because you said that you know you started in 2013 and that you've been bootstrapping. Um, but, you know, from from experience, the sort of technology that you're working with, especially kind of like uh, drones and um, laser scanning technology specifically for drones, we're not talking about cheap technology here either. So how have you um, approached the technology side of things whilst still trying to kind of uh, bootstrap, save money and achieve what you want to achieve? Um, that's mostly through uh, partnering with other people. So we we partner with people who who have uh, drones and fly them. Um, we're partnering with a new company just now who's designed a, sub, uh, a bespoke drone that is going to, it was basically designed around our explicit wish list for carrying survey grade LIDAR and, uh, and other instruments. So we're, um, 
we also work with big companies. So, so uh, Regal, as you know, a big company based out of Austria, that's a global company that builds um, LiDAR. They've been very supportive in terms of um, giving us access to instrumentation and things to develop some of that new technology. And so that's that's how we've done it to date for the, the technology side of things is that um, is that largely we've been doing it with partners. Um, and that includes universities and the University of Edinburgh as well has a, has a strong team here. So that's how we get around that. And then the rest of the time, it's it's been software development, which you can do with a computer and some clever people. <laughs> uh, computer and some clever people. Yes, definitely. I remember trying to learn how to do software development and coding. Um, somebody asked me if I could code the other day and I was just like, well, I can, but not very well. And you certainly wouldn't want me to code anything that you want to do anything with. <laughs> Um, you definitely need clever people to to be involved in code. Um, so do you have any advice um, for anybody listening that is looking at adopting like kind of high value technology in order to help them solve their problems, but wants to do it via partnerships instead of spending lots of, of cash up front? Uh, so you mean s- small companies trying to develop new innovative technologies? or Yes. Yeah, um, I guess that is, that's the you know, it, it, taking advantage of their networks and finding those companies that are, because often, and you must have seen this before, is that the, as companies get bigger, they often become less innovative. And yep. they're, um, and so they're, they're often open-minded to have conversations about with small companies who've got great ideas. Um, you've got to be careful about that. You know, that relationship can be very lopsided sometimes. So you have to be careful how you manage that. But there are, um, there's certainly opportunities, and certainly in the UK at the moment, there's lots of funding opportunities for that involve partnerships with uh, universities and um, other SMEs or or larger companies. And so, leveraging that uh, that funding can often be easier if you're if you're teaming up with somebody. Yeah, definitely on the the funding and um, partnerships with universities, because I know that um, the companies that I've worked for in the past have never, you know, they've not been tied to universities, but they have worked with universities um, on the, uh, well, I think I'm going back a couple of years now, but it was a knowledge transfer partnership. Does that still exist today? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so using things like the knowledge transfer partnerships, getting involved in PhD research, and um, especially for companies that want to innovate and do that research, that was definitely uh, a real big help for us when I was working in that that space. Um, I guess you're quite lucky because you're you're heavily involved in the university anyway. Well, that's the. Uh, I mean, I, I guess a lot of the um, innovation and spinouts that or or startups that that occur it's it's often not exclusively but certainly on the technology side probably has has come out of some activity within a university anyway and um and even if it hasn't there are people in they're they're far more available now i think than they've ever been in terms of in universities there to help support and find routes to funding um whether that's regional funding national funding international funding there's there's now quite a lot of um, opportunities because because it's now very clearly recognised that 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 big chasm of the of taking that technology that final step is really quite tricky and we certainly came across that where you get to a point where the research councils and and academic funding says well that's not really research anymore you're just kind of building a prototype mm-hmm. and the investors or the companies that you might partner with or potential customers are saying what well, you've not even built a prototype yet. And so the that gap is um, is really quite a challenge, uh, 
there's certainly in in my field so for earth observation technology there's there's fantastic initiatives like the center for earth observation instrumentation and they they have uh, funding available that's that almost perfectly fits into that gap to help that that transfer um, and I imagine in many other technology topics there may well be funding available to that specifically addresses that that gap because it is it's certainly you know it's known about it's talked about people write books about it um that that doesn't mean it's easy to find those that funding but often it is available because people know it's a difficult step to do yeah and i think the kind of key piece of learning for um anybody listening here is that you know just because you have an ambitious goal doesn't mean that you can't achieve it but explore partnerships funding opportunities and go out and look for ways um that you can get help to achieve that goal rather than try and tackle it yourself and think that you can do it on your own or think that you have to do it on your own you certainly don't have to um (laughs) and some people will be lucky enough that they'll get a big wad of cash from some investment you know a vc or an angel will come in and and allow them to accelerate that um but i think increasingly certainly in my sector um so space data and earth observation data generally it is uh it's very clear that there's you have to do that with with other people there's very few companies in the world that that do the whole vertical in that um in that domain and so making sure that you're partnering with the right people um is definitely an advantage collaboration over competition or collaboration over doing it yourself any day for sure yeah <laughs> I was like I see so many people like struggle to do something on their own because they like refuse to add, add you know refuse to ask for help or they're like no I can't afford to get help or there isn't another way and it's like well there's lots of different ways you know you can you can pay for help but then you can also find help in in other avenues as well it's just finding places to look for it or yeah. asking your networks point you in the right direction as well Definitely. And most, um, you know, most, most people are willing to help in some way if you ask them, yes. um, you know, they won't do it and they won't necessarily do it for you. But if you go and ask them for advice on who, where to find somebody that can help with that. Um, yeah. The power is. of a strong network. I'm always ranting and raving on about this is that if you yes. have a good network, then they are willing to help you and support you when you need it. Yes. I think that's true. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the other question that I did have was um, around, because obviously, especially drone technology and uh, laser scanning technology, specifically for drones, is evolving at such a rapid rate. So, the, you know, there's always new sensors that are lighter and faster and do more every year. There are lighter drones, drones that do, you know, with all the bells and whistles. How do you keep up to date with the latest technology or how do you stop yourself getting distracted with the next shiny object? Um, so I, I have, I have fantastic, um, colleagues in carbon map that, that pull me back every time I get distracted by nice new shiny things. Um, <laughs> cause I'm on, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn enough to sort of see some of the new things pop up. That's generally where I get my, I guess I get my news from. I get, there's a few industry magazines that I will, I will flick through, but they're, you know, by the time you get the magazine, it's already, uh, weeks, if not months old. So the the new shiny things that come through, yeah, I, I will see them generally on LinkedIn or, or Twitter before I see them anywhere else. Um, and then I will, uh, yeah. What usually happens is I get excited about that and then take that to the team, and then they say, "Well, who's you know, is there a customer? <laughs> is anybody <laughs> going to buy it?" Uh, and I'll say, "Well, I don't know yet." So, and then I get it gets 
move to one side until I can demonstrate that somebody actually is willing to 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 buy it. But so that's, you're a that's, fellow sufferer of shiny object syndrome, then. Yes, definitely. But that's, <laughs> that, I mean, that's the that's where I have that kind of. It's not quite Jekyll and Hyde. Hyde that would be a bit harsh. But the in terms of being a, academic and and business person, um, my I can uh, I can indulge that shiny object um, thing in the academic side because that's that, you know that's what we should be doing is thinking up new ideas and looking at new stuff without necessarily thinking about whether it's got a customer or or somebody's going to pay for it it's it's just is to just explore and um uh and innovate and be a bit imaginative and and usually there's a fair collection of um msc students that will um sometimes pick that up for a dissertation project or or something so they're and it's great for them to be able to explore something that's that's right at the cutting edge um, so yeah, so that that's I get to I, I get the benefit of both worlds in that in that respect. Yeah, because it can be so distracting. I mean, I'm really really guilty of this. You know, I'll come up with a really good idea. I'll listen to a podcast, watch something, and I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely want to go down that route. Um, and I think because I work for myself, I I work with a coach and part of a coaching group to kind of rein me back in again and sort of say, you know what, like you know, you've got um, a colleague that says to you, you know. Um, do you have a client for that? Is um, this supporting the goals um, and somebody just to, you know, have that kind of like calm influence that's not like, yes, just go for it and go down this distraction, distracting route. I um, definitely, I def- I definitely find that having, you know, having some sense of a vision and a clear goal of what your company is trying to do. Um, it helps you to have those conversations because just like you were saying is that somebody can then say, well, how does this actually, how, can you map a path from this shiny thing to reaching our goal faster uh, or more effectively? Um, or is it just a, you know, a nice new fad and something that looks exciting and interesting and clever? And, and so w- with having that clear goal, it's, it's, it's much easier to have that conversation and to, and to strip out the stuff that isn't actually contributing to that. Yeah. And such great advice as well is just to, you know, have that clear goal for what it is that you're doing, um, either write it down or, or make it apparent. So if you do bring a new idea to the table, ask yourself, is that new idea in line with your goal? Is it going to help you achieve that goal? And, um, you, you know, do yep. you have the support to be able to do it? Um, but also what you were saying before as well is a real good example of kind of collaborative team leadership and understanding to have the right personality types in your business. Um, you know, I definitely learned this quite a few years ago. Um, I think I went on a, a leadership course. I was reading lots of things about different personality types in a team. And especially people like you know, like me and you that come up with all these crazy ideas. Um, you need somebody that's a little bit more process-driven and structured that will then rein you back in again. Um, you, so you, the two personality types can kind of like bounce off one another. Um, do you have that good mix? Because you've got quite a few people on your board, haven't you? Do you have a good mix of personality types that support you and challenge you and things like that? Absolutely. Um, so uh, the uh, it is, yeah, our most recent member to, to join is um, Gillian Fleming. Gillian was a um, Saltar Fellow, which is a, a training program in, in, in Scotland. Um, She's probably uh, yeah. She has the the biggest influence in terms of 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 that customer side of things. So we we brought her in specifically because we were we were too heavy on the uh, uh, too too heavy on the sort of technical cleverness and and not focusing enough on our on the business and the and the market. And so so Gillian generally steers us in that direction. Um, and then the 
yeah, and and we have a we have quite a good board where we've got a different personality types and um and we feel free to have a a good old uh um blether at our board meetings. <laughs> so we disagree a lot, which I like. <laughs> so it is a it's a constructive discussion that we and and we disagree constructively. So, but it is because we have a you know we know what it is we're trying to do, and so we can we it can always be framed. It's never a personal argument. It's always a does the, how does this get us to where we're trying to get to? Um, and so Carbomat is very focused at the moment in terms of making access to three dimensional environmental data just. Um, or it should be available to everybody. And the, and as you know, the thing is, and you mentioned earlier, things like LIDAR are, are expensive bits of kit. Um, you look at the whole continent of Africa, there's probably not even half a dozen airborne LIDAR companies in the entire continent. So the getting access to that high-quality data is is very difficult. And so we, um, if our vision is to, is in map is to make sure that people have access to that, that three-dimensional data, all our discussion can then be around, well, how does it get us to that? That, you know, somebody's got a new idea or two people have got conflicting ideas. And the thing is, well, which is the one that gets us to that goal faster or more effectively or, um, or does it in a, in a better way? Yeah. And how have you, how have you found uh, just uh, the, the barriers to entry in terms of actually getting the equipment into um, Africa, especially certain countries? Because I remember trying to arrange uh, demonstrations and things like that used to sell to the mines and that was uh, a logistical nightmare not impossible but a logistical nightmare <laughs> it is very variable as you pointed out you know africa is a big continent um and the lots of different countries and each country certainly so far we find is that there's lots of different uh barriers so they we're looking at taking a having a uav with a um a lidar on it in ghana in later this year in a few months time uh and so far, it's going smoothly. But, um, <laughs> Don't want to jinx know, it. We know. I know. We touch wood. Uh, we know. We certainly know of other places where it's a bit. Um, it's been harder. We know of other practical issues to do with just getting um, the right kind of fuel, because mm-hmm. um, a lot of the local petrol stations might have um, diluted the, your petrol, and that's not necessarily very good for your engine. Or mm-hmm. uh, if you're got batteries. Um, I know of another colleague who's flying a UAV with a LiDAR on it, um, and it's a battery-powered UAV, and they're having difficulty getting their batteries to the to the location they want to collect the data. Um, so yeah, so there's a whole there's there's lots of hurdles to to get around, but we're I'm pretty confident that you know the next ten years we're all, we're all seeing that rapid movement of the use of uh, UAVs and drones for various applications. And like you were talking about earlier, is that it's moving very fast. The drones are getting bigger, faster, more advanced. The technology, the instrumentation, and the sensors are getting smaller and not 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 degrading the quality as a as a consequence. Mm. And uh, it will definitely be the case within ten years. It'll be just standard surveying practice to get um, drones flying around collecting environmental data. And that will be the countries that aren't doing that or are or stopping that happening will be will be behind the curve. Yeah, I find it absolutely fascinating just from a um not from a user's point of view, but just to see how the technology emerges, how um 
uh, customers, businesses, and the general public are adopting to drone technology and their their general response. So um, it's an exciting, I think, probably like five, 10 years ahead uh, with a lot of change and a lot of advancement as well. So I'm definitely going to kind of keep up to date with what's going on. Um, but if you've got, I did want to ask you, um, in terms of, you've got any advice for companies um, that are in the technical space and they're having to deal with barriers to entry, you know, challenges like the challenges that you just described. How do you kind of stay on track and not get too discouraged by the the barriers and the challenges that crop up? Um, I think that, uh, I think we've gone through various periods of being discouraged. Um, so I don't think it's, I don't think you should be frightened about being discouraged. That's, that's, always going to be the case when you're when you're trying to sort of push those boundaries <laughs> and do innovative things um so what, one of the things i came across recently is just uh starting to look back and realize how many things that we've done that are actually been very successful and in fact are being adopted or taken up or often um uh overtook us quite early because we didn't have the the, the capital to to really propel something um and it and it kind of just re rather than being despondent about those kind of things is that that just propels us to realize that actually we do we are very good at innovating and seeing things coming and we just have to work harder at making sure that we we push them forward um but it is you know you're you're always going to get low low points when you're when you're you're pushing at that uh that innovation envelope it's never always going to go straightforwardly um the you mentioned having a coach that's uh i've done a lot of work with a business coach which i think has been helpful in terms of making sure that we spend some time so the the key thing i I learned from them was the about spending time on the business rather than just in the business Mm -hmm. Um, so we definitely sort of do that as a company in terms of making sure that we do find some time to just sit back and say well what you know because we get caught up in just delivering on the on the contracts that we do have that's that's keeping the lights on and sometimes that can distract from the 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 taking those steps forward um but uh yeah i don't know if, does that answer your question yeah no that's that's great because i think my my hope is that these podcast episodes um are interesting to people that aren't necessarily aware of the technology and the things that are going on in the world but then also um inspirational and empowering to kind of give you new ideas and um things to help you uh, start businesses that you want to start or um you know just help people overcome some of the challenges that they're they're facing because mm. let's let's be honest like getting in getting involved with a tech startup either as a, a an owner a founder a leader an investor whatever it's always going to be a challenge um but it's, it's something that i personally absolutely love i love working with startups i love uh talking to startups because i just from a because yeah this podcast is called the curiosity key because i'm just such a naturally curious person i'm always like wanting to know more so um yeah i hope that this is is helpful and for me, I think you're, you're sort of saying lots of valuable things that will help people. So thank you. Um, so if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with you, what's the best way to kind of keep up to date with what Carbon Map's doing, what you're doing, or get in uh, touch? Yeah, twi- I mean, Twitter is easy. Um, so at Carbon Map, that's really straightforward. Um, info at CarbonMap.com is, is definitely one way. I always get a copy of those emails. So that's that's the easiest way. Um, you could certainly email me directly at i.h.carbonmap at 
woodhouse at carbomap.com. Um, that's just longer to remember than info. At. <laughs> they both, they'll both get to me. So the info at is as easy one to remember. Um, and yeah, I try to be fairly active on, on LinkedIn. Um, there are, I, I know that that puts me into a certain age bracket, the fact that I'm LinkedIn and Twitter and there are other, other social media platforms available. Um, but they're the two, they're the two that are easier to, to find me or follow me on to, um, or follow carbon map to, to keep track of what we're doing. Oh, definitely, definitely not. I think Twitter seems to be getting a bit of a bad rep at the moment, but in the tech world, I think Twitter is still as strong as it's ever been. Um, and yeah, LinkedIn is um, kind of getting younger and younger. There's a lot of uh, kind of people that are entering the workforce using it more and more now. So I, uh, I wouldn't be afraid of being <laughs> in a particular age what? bracket of using it. Yeah, no, I'm not afraid of that. Um, and, it, and I try to encourage my students to connect me on LinkedIn because essentially, because for my students, it's basically me giving them my address book and saying, you know, uh, come and you know, be connected to me because you might find that useful at some point. Yeah, and you know these sort of students that will have these crazy ideas at some point in the future want to start their own businesses, and then you know you can you can help and support them, you know, get their ideas off the ground as well, which is in my mind what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's um, I, uh, that that process of carbon map, and then the the contributions that I made to starting up Ecometrica before that, so that's back to two thousand and eight. Um, that's made me realise just how much fun that that starting process is. Hmm. Once it's up and running and it's and it's going, that's that's when I would pass on to somebody else to um, to, to take it on. But they they getting things started and um, and moving in the first instance, that's what I get the biggest kick out of. Yeah, uh, and just to finish up because I haven't asked you this one question, which is like, kind of what's next for CarboMap? What's the next big project? What's next for CarboMap? Uh, we're doing um, interestingly inspired by something you did on. Uh, on LinkedIn before about the one one for one was it you called it? Um, uh, buy be one G one buy one give one was it? Yeah, that's what buy one give one. Yes. Uh, we're looking at expanding our training in terms of the so one of the things that we want to be able to do is to help individual countries or organisations set up their own um, Earth observation uh, system, and we want to help train people and help help them build that system for themselves. So almost like the, the Ikea of the earth observation world. Oh, fantastic. Um, so they can, they can build that. But what we're, what we're about to do is, uh, is start offering us, uh, making an offer whereby if people buy our training services for every person that they, they pay to get trained, we will be training people in sub-Saharan Africa, um, for free essentially for them so that we, we will, you know, it's the what did you call it? Buy one, give one. Buy yeah. one, give one. Yeah. So for every every trainee that they buy from from us, uh, we'll be giving a a trainee to um, somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa. And so, and our major our projects at the moment are Malawi, Zambia, uh, Kenya, and Ghana um, is where we're mostly active in that. So that's the so inspired by your your proposal on LinkedIn. That's what oh, I love it. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so a building. So we're currently looking at building more tools to help people um, do it for them, do it for themselves, essentially, rather than because uh, it's one of the big challenges, certainly through a lot of the developing world, is that they can't. You know, there's these big space companies that are offering services, but they're all asking, you know, payment for it, and mm. a lot of these, um, a lot of these countries and the organisations within them don't necessarily have the budget lines that that allow them to buy those services. So 
they want to be able to do it them, themselves in country and build that expertise and build their own um, country's uh, capacity for for doing you know and handling earth observation data from satellites or drones and and using it in internally in their own infrastructure so that's the that's where we're moving next in in CarboMap. Oh, that's amazing. I, I mean, for me, uh, the kind of buy one give one approach is just uh, like a no a no brainer uh, for me because that's why I set up my business because I wanted to create that impact. And I think that through business, we have the power to make a significant impact in the world, um, especially through empowering other people. For me, it's all about education, uh, mm. something that I feel very strongly about. But exactly what you're saying is that you know you can help empower other people that need it instead of having to just charge them for it and then use what you're doing to to help more people on a global scale so that's amazing um and then for everybody listening i will include all of the links and things like uh, things that we've spoken about today in the show notes just go to charliewyman.com forward slash podcast and all of the information will be on there so i could probably talk to you for ages ian um but thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing what it is that you're up to and i wish you all the very best for yes. the future Thank you very much for having me. It's been great chatting to you again, Charlie. Awesome. Thank you. When you're working on exciting projects in tech or trying to change the world, it's hard to focus on marketing and it might not seem like a big priority for you right now. Talking about what you're working on and the driving force behind why you're doing it will help you raise your profile in your industry and keep your audience up to date and interested. My goal for this podcast is to share the amazing things that businesses and individuals are working on that will shape the world of tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform and share it with the others that you think would benefit. If you liked it loads, then feel free to leave me a review. All the show notes and any links mentioned in today's episode will be available on my website. That's charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Ciao for now. Bye.